Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Jerry invited me to come to his room and he had earmarked about uh, 25 different quotations in the book. And he wanted me to sit and listen to him while he read them. And that started with, like, you know, who do you think could do this? Were you part of this? While the early reports have brought a flurry of denials, players giving out sensitive information to the press is one surefire way to cause a division within the team. I didn't contribute to that, and that was Horace. He was telling everything that was happening within the group. You know, as we started winning championships, and everybody talked about Michael, and then everybody talked about everybody else, I mean, that really pissed off Horace. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on The Score. All right, game on. That's a teaser for tonight's episodes five and six of The Last Dance, the ESPN documentary on the 98 Bulls that none of us can stop watching or thinking about or talking about. Um, and within that, we heard we heard our buddy Mark Schanowski. Ah. Oh. Young, whip-smart, damn handsome Mark Schanowski right there um, in the middle of that clip. Uh, Let's talk about the last dance and the baseball angle that exists within it with our friend Casey Johnson of NBC Sports Chicago. Joins us right now on the Alpamonte Ford hotline, Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park. What's up, Casey? How are you? I'm good. How are you, Matt? Thanks for having me. Uh, Of course, man. Absolutely. How are you you holding up, by the way, in, uh, in quarantine land? Uh, we got a hoop on our garage, so we're like a Chicago rat. We're in the alley all the time, so it's all good. <laughs> Outstanding. Um, I've been asking everybody, what are you currently eating too much of just because you're in the house all the damn time? Uh, tofu. Oh, wow. That is, <laughs> that is the healthiest and most boring answer, and it explains your physique. <laughs> <laughs> you asked, man. You asked. Yeah, serves me right. Serves me right. Um, Casey, tell me about your relationship with Jerry Krause, especially after he was done as a um, as a basketball guy and went back to his baseball life. Because it's a really interesting career, which what uh, which I want to get into. But it seems like he would sometimes call and and you guys would talk, and he would even read you stuff that he was writing, right? Yeah, uh, I covered Jerry for six years as a Bulls general manager, and when he left the organization in 2003, he obviously laid low for a little bit and um, ultimately um, spent a day with me for his kind of first uh, public interview uh, after leaving the Bulls. Um, 
believe it or not, we fished on his boat. Uh, he's got a lake in his uh, a lake in his backyard, a small lake, and and we went fishing on his boat. And um, you know, uh, from that story, which was I want to say '03, um, you know, a trust formed, and ultimately, over the last 14 years of his life, uh, a friendship formed. Um, we spent a lot of time together talking on the phone. We spent a lot of time going out to lunch together. Um, I just always found him as someone who obviously had fascinating stories and just really was looking for someone to listen to him. And I, I uh, think uh, I, I'm a pretty good listener. It's what I do for a living. Um, mm. So I just really enjoyed the uh, relationship that kind of naturally formed over time. Um, and along those, line, those lines, um, twice I spent um, lengthy periods of time with him for long stories that ran uh, in the Chicago Tribune when I worked for that newspaper, including one where I went on a baseball scouting trip uh, with him in Delaware in 2012. Well, yeah, I want to hear about that trip. But, you know, the man's life and his career, I don't I can't think of anyone else who's been a talent evaluator in, in both in two different sports. I mean, maybe it's out there and it exists and someone will remind me. But we're talking about like what, a 55 year career, essentially, Um 1961 was the first job as a gopher of sorts for the Chicago Cubs while he was in college at Bradley. And through 2016, um, I mean, eventually, when he stopped being a, being a, a baseball scout, that's a crazy two-sport run that started in baseball, then to basketball, then back to baseball, then back to basketball, and then back to baseball, if I have it yeah, right. Exactly, and I'm glad you're you're having me on to talk about baseball because even though I'm more well versed in the basketball, I know the baseball history really well, and I think it should be emphasized. You're right, Matt. It's it's completely unparalleled, and it couldn't it couldn't happen today in today's world where you know all sports have become so specialized and and are so consuming for 12 months of the year. But back then, you could work both uh, in both jobs uh, in both pro levels, and and Jerry did. He worked for. MLB and the NBA multiple seasons for six months of the year each. Uh, there are two figures that are legendary in Jerry's career. One is uh, the longtime baseball coach at Taft High School where Jerry went to high school here on the northwest side, Jim Smilgoff. And then that through Jim, he met uh, a legendary Yankee scout named Freddie Hasselman who kind of let Jerry tag along with him on some semi-pro and high school scouting trips throughout the Midwest while Jerry was a student at at Bradley and, and these two people Jerry would talk about with such reverence and so influential on his career. Um, and, you know, the fact that he went back to baseball ultimately after he left the Bulls to me tells you everything you need to know about how baseball is in his blood. Another huge tie in, which will resonate with Chicago listeners for Jerry on the baseball front is Bill Vec, another yep. person that Jerry held with such reverence. Uh, Bill actually gave Jerry a very important job in 1978. It was after Jerry had flamed out kind of in his first run with the Bulls. People don't, people may not remember, but Jerry was director of pro personnel for the Bulls in the mid seventies under Arthur Wirtz and ultimately lost that job. And Bill Vec uh, and Jerry met at Shallers pub and had lunch to turn into a dinner. And uh, 12 hours later, Bill Vec hired Jerry Krause and, he was working for the White Sox uh, for the first time because he later worked for the White Sox again in, in the 2000s. So pretty amazing career, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy who worked for a Wirtz, 
a member of the Wirtz family when they owned the Bulls, Bill Veck when he owned the White Sox, and then Reinsdorf um, with both the Bulls and the White Sox. And, and, you know, people may remember when Reinsdorf hires him as Bulls GM from the White Sox, he'd already been with the Bulls before that, as you're talking about, in the middle of a career that had him toggling um, back and forth. And he, he would always famously say, Casey, scouting is scouting. Like it's yeah. he thought he thought they were the same kind of thing. Like you, you you watch a player and you look to a player and you see what the talent is and you see what the evaluation is. I wonder, I wonder how much. And did you talk about this ever with him? Maybe on that trip you took to Delaware, how much he would look at mentality, and um and and the, the mindset of these kids that he would scout because some of the famous baseball uh, guys that he that he nailed, like he loved Ozzie Gian. He watched 17 yep. games in a row of Ozzie Guillen when he was in the minor leagues for the Padres and said, that's the guy we need. And the Lamar Hoyt trade was made in, in a lot of ways. There's eight players in that trade, but it's to get Ozzie Guillen. And that's, you know, but we know about the baseball character of Ozzie Guillen, who ends up a lifer. Ed Farmer, um, Krause, um, was, was one of the scouts of. And we know about the baseball character of Ed Farmer, who hung around as a lifer. So I wonder how much he looked at, at, at attitude and mentality of baseball guys and or basketball guys. Well, he did. And then I'm glad you honed in on that because, you know, that's, those are the things that translate, again, regardless of the sport. And so that scouting and scouting quote would apply to that. Um, yeah, I mean, Jerry put a lot of time into makeup of a player, um, character of a player, family background of a player. Those were things that were very important. And he had a famous saying, and I'm sure you've heard before, our kind of people. And that applied, you know, whether he was, you know, general managing for the Bulls or scouting for the Arizona Diamondbacks, which is what he was doing, you know, shortly before he, he passed. And, and when, when I um, spent that uh, scouting trip with him in 2012 that's who he was working for i got a funny anecdote i mean this kind of applies to character i mean jerry had such a routine he would get to the park so early and get his spot and get all his stuff in order including his radar gun which he didn't actually use until later in his career he was not a big fan of technology he was more the eye test kind of guy but he had his radar gun he's right on the right in the aisle right behind the plate and, you know, I'm watching him scout, and we're kind of talking, you know, in between half innings. And about two innings later, a woman comes in late, third inning, sits right in front of him. And Jerry was just absolutely apoplectic. It was, it was unbelievable to watch. He just kind of, it just kind of upset the apple cart. He just could not recover from that. He finally had to move so he could get a, he's like, I got to see the plate. I got to see the plate. That's what he kept saying over and over. It's just this anecdote that has always stayed with me. I wrote about it at the time. and It just kind of now brings a smile to my face. Uh, that's great. Um, Mark Gonzalez, your former colleague over at the Tribune, wrote a really lovely piece yesterday about Krause as a baseball guy. And it included a couple stories in there. <clears throat> One about um, a game that they were watching in California to scout Shane Mack, who went on to be a, first-round pick and a five-tool outfielder in the bigs for a while. And everybody's wearing, like, these Ocean Pacific uh, jackets and shorts and stuff. And Krause is there at the game with a fedora and a trench coat on at the, <laughs> at the ball game scouting. And I can see and that's probably what who, – who's the guy? Hasselman? Freddie Hasselman? Maybe that's what yeah. Freddie wore as a scout, yeah. you know? Yeah, no yeah, no doubt. I read that Gonzo piece. That was fantastic stuff. But – um. Uh, it's really cool you, you reach out to me to talk to talk about a baseball level because you know, I don't think that part of his um, career gets enough shine. And quite frankly, it meant as much to him. You know, obviously he gets 
uh, the, the most notoriety, and rightfully so, he's in the nation of basketball, playing for the six championships. But baseball was so much his first love. I was obviously a, a bullpen catcher um, at Bradley and, you know, tried out for the tennis team. You know, in reporting one of those stories uh, that I spent uh, a lot of time with him for for the Tribune, we went back to Taft High School and we were walking around the old baseball diamonds and he was showing me, you know, where he met Freddie Hasselman and when Smogoff, Jim Smogoff, the Taft High School coach, um, you know, he used to warm him up and things like that. And you could just see the memories and the pride that, that he had in, in, in kind of showing me that stuff. So. Really, 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 really important part of his life. Um, again, basketball is always going to be known for, but the fact that he went back to baseball to me kind of kind of says it all. Yeah, I, I, you know, and and we know that's the way that Jerry Reinsdorf feels about baseball. So it's obviously a <clears throat> a big part of their bond. That you know, it, in the end, that's that's where the emotions get us, and it's certainly where they get me. Um, you know, as as we think about makeup and think about. I wonder, and, and I got to credit Krause because he knew, and I know they brought him in and they had a conversation with Phil Jackson when it was time to get to think about Dennis Rodman. And they had, you know, and they all met together. But Krause knew and was proven right that Dennis had incredible basketball makeup as a gamer, like, right? Just like a guy who was going to show up and when he was there was going to bust his ass every single time, do the dirty work and end up being an incredible teammate on the court in that way. And you got to give Kraus credit for taking that chance and knowing that that makeup was going to was going to work out. Yeah, and another person instrumental in that acquisition was Jim Stack, the assistant GM at the time. He was really uh, convinced that Rod, what you speak of, Matt, his, Rodman's work ethic could, mm-hmm. you know, even though he was kind of going wayward there uh, with the Spurs, his work ethic, even in the most wayward moments, was still prevalent and still, you know, in in, in there somewhere. And once you got him into a structure like the Bulls, you know, and the leadership structure was in place from Kraus down to Phil, down to Michael, and, and um, you know, that the, they could kind of uh, absorb and assimilate Dennis into that. And, and I, I personally am strongly of the conviction, and, you know, I may, I may not be right here, but it's just my belief that, that the Bulls don't win all three of that second 3 P without, without Dennis Rodman uh, in the fold. So, um yeah, I mean, Jerry, uh, you know, had to be convinced of it, but once he was convinced of it and got Michael and, and Phil to sign off on it, um, you know, again, it to me speaks to the leadership structure that the Bulls had in place from Jerry on down on down to Phil and then on down to Michael. And any quarrels with the last dance in terms of how it's presented or how it has, uh, you know, obviously people talk about the way that Jerry is characterized, but you you know the the real situation. I'd like to think I do, and, and a lot of Chicagoans understand. But um, but any any issues with how the Last Dance has presented this stuff? No, I mean you know we're through. I, I've seen through episode eight, so I don't want to get too far ahead. So, but I, I was through four, I guess, going into tonight. So, I mean, I just got to say, you know, I understand. You know, the first two episodes had to set up plot and conflict and drama. I, I understand, and and look, it's not wrong. I mean, there was plenty of it in ninety seven, ninety eight. But I think what has happened is people have rushed to judge it before the narrative arc of all 10 episodes play out. So we owe it to the filmmakers to see how it plays out, number one. And number two, I think you've seen a natural uh, pendulum swing to the other side. I think plenty of people have come to Jerry's defense beyond what his family has so graciously uh, allowed us to do, and that's you know, publish some of his 
unpublished writings. Uh, I think there's been plenty of other people kind of weighing in to, to, to offer some balance because, you know, to say that Jerry Krause broke the dynasty is a joke, quite frankly. I mean, that's just not accurate. So, uh, and I'm not saying that's what the film says because I, I don't believe that to be the case. And I think, like I said, we need to let all 10 episodes play out. But look, it's a, it's a, it's an awesome uh, event, particularly given when it's released, uh, you know, with the global pandemic and all of us uh, with eyeballs at home. So um, you understand why it's drawing the significance that it is. And, um, you know, a lot of people will be tuning in, tuning in again tonight. Yeah. Um, all right. And in closing, Casey, the baseball um, and, and end of it, Greg Walker, another guy that uh, that Jerry kind of saw as a class A kid in the Philly system and convinced Bill Veck to pick him in the Rule 5 draft. And I'll never forget when the White Sox were that subject of the MLB Network's documentary. I forget what it was called, but it was it was the year they drafted Chris Sale. And in that draft room, as Kenny Williams was talking to all of his people, about eight or nine people in that draft room, and they debated whether or not to take Chris Sale, there was Jerry Krause touting Chris Sale. So, like, I always, I always think of that a little bit. It's amazing the tentacles of that man's scouting and talent evaluation career in both sports and how they linger. Yeah, another guy that I'll, I'll just quickly say that he was really tight with and was on to early was Kirk Gibson. You know, that was one of Jerry's mm. favorite people. So, I mean, yeah, yeah you man. can just go down the list. There's tons of names both on the baseball side and the basketball side. It speaks to a, a pretty impressive career. Well, yeah, I mean, Kirk Gibson, talk about one of the ultimate gamers um, in terms of makeup right there. My goodness. All right, Casey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Hey, what do you think of Tom York on Fallon? What do you think of it? It's very moody. Very obviously, uh, it speaks to the moment of the time, um, the emotions toggling back and forth between a tiny bit of hope, but mostly foreboding impending doom. Uh, what do you think of the track? I'm not the most biased uh, Tom York uh, person, but I will say, uh, I'm serious, I'm not the most unbiased uh, Tom York listener, but I will yes. say I, I love the track. I think the lyrics are uh, spot on, and I think it'd be cool to hear with a band. Say, hey, let's get a new Radiohead album out of it. That's what I say. There you go. Uh, unsurprisingly, that's what Casey wants more than anything out of his pandemic. Give me a new Radiohead album. Uh, thanks, man. <laughs> appreciate you, Casey. Thank you. Thanks for making this connection with baseball. Very cool. You did this, man. Thank you very much. Right. You got it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Casey. It's Casey Johnson of NBC Sports Chicago. Yeah, Jerry Krause, um, a serious, serious baseball scout with legit bona fides. When we come back, RIP to a pitcher from one of the most memorable and, I believe, impactful pitching staffs of all time. I'll explain when we come back. And then our guy Chris Kamka will do Cam Connection to help wrap up the show here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. When I'm done, it is a Bears Sunday right here, and it is the Lions at the Bears, Week 10 from 2011, a Bears blowout. If you'd like to hear some Bears football porn on your radio, Listen to them pick off Matthew Stafford more than three times. I'm not going to tell you how many, but I will say it's more than three. Jeff Joniak is going to offer some thoughts before we play the game. After the Bears game, it'll be Mark Grody solo right here on Sunday on The Score. Les Grobstein will be on at midnight as we restart the broadcast day. Everyone broadcasting live from the Hyundai studios. We'll be right back on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Yeah, I am. Actually, I think this is the one time in our baseball life where we need to take our complaints and shove them in our back pocket and and, and do, do what we can do. Um, I think we can look at this two ways. It can either be viewed as kind of a celebration, and which is that's what I hope, or it can almost almost be a PR nightmare. And I hope we stay away from that. I hope we're smart enough that we treat this with so much respect because there's people right now that are out of jobs that are really struggling. And if we can help even just a little bit um, by getting back on the field, that would be, you know, again, this would be the time to be flexible and do whatever they say to make it work. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sundays, 9 a.m. to noon. That was Terry Francona yesterday on Inside the Clubhouse with me and Bruce Levine. Terry Francona, the fine manager for the Cleveland Indians, formerly for the Boston Red Sox, formerly for the Birmingham Barons, and uh, Michael Jordan in double A. Uh, some good conversation about that on yesterday's show as well. You can go back and listen to it via podcast if you'd like. But I love that message right there from Francona, that everybody around the game, it's an opportunity to do whatever you got to do to get some games in and not make it selfish, uh, not publicly make it, you know, too whiny. When he's talking about what the flip side could be of a PR nightmare of, uh, of people hearing millionaire ballplayers and managers and such bitching about certain things that they have to do, bitching about how this isn't real baseball, all that kind of stuff. No one is going to want to hear that. No one. And as of right now, if they came to Terry Francona and said, 50 games expanded playoffs will start August 1st. You in? Terry Francona will say, yep, let's go. Let's go. Out of respect for the game, out of respect for what the game means to people, let it be, let it be weird. It's all right. You know, just it's anything that you can do if you're in baseball to help people get some baseball and not complain about your good fortune in life to be a part of baseball would be welcome. Love that mindset from Terry Francona. Um, rest in peace to Matt Keough. Do you know the name Matt Keough? Does Matt Keough mean anything to you guys? Sean Anderson, the name Matt Keough ring a bell at all? It's it, okay if the answer is no. Yeah, it does not. Okay. Former Oakland A, former St. Louis Cardinal, most recently an executive with the Oakland A's, died at the age of 64. He was one of what they called the five aces. When Billy Martin was manager of the Oakland A's in the early 80s, he had a pitching staff of five 
aces, and they were great. They were all very, very good. He had a terrible bullpen, so he let them finish almost every game. The numbers are ridiculous. The pitching staff in 1980 and 1981, in 271 starts, combined for 154 complete games. That is nearly 57% complete games of the games they started. In 1980, Rick Langford started 33 games. He threw 28 complete games. The leader in complete games last year was Shane Bieber and Lucas Giolito with three. Three was the most complete games in all of baseball last year. In 1980, Rick Langford completed 28 of the 33 games he started. Mike Norris completed 24 of the 33 games he started. Matt Keogh completed 20 of the 32 games he started. Steve McCaddy, 11 of the 31 games he started. And Brian Kingman, 10 of the 30 games that he started. The five of them, they all had at least 10. Langford had 28. Five aces. They were real good. Good team. But you might not be surprised to find out that five promising careers all ended earlier than they needed to. Would that shock you to know? Brian Kingman was done after the 1983 season at age 29. Matt Keogh never pitched past age 31. Rick Langford was released by Oakland after starting the 1985 season. One in ten. He was 34. Those guys... We're done. It's amazing. Steve McCaddy, I got to talk to him sometime. He is a coach in the White Sox system, is Steve McCaddy. That year, uh, they, they, let's see, there were four of them. Each threw a 14-inning complete game in 1980. Langford, Keogh, Norris, and McCaddy each threw a 14-inning complete game. When the A's set a major league record that year with 94 complete games, um, Rick Norris, uh, or Mike Norris, excuse me, he threw 152 pitches to get through his 14-inning game. Steve McCaddy, take a guess, Sean Anderson, how many pitches Steve McCaddy threw in his 14-inning complete game? 174. (laughs) The answer is 207. 207! And that's the thing. People knew it then that Billy Martin was was crazy and he was trying to like have a staff of five old Haas Langborns, you know, um, old Haas Radborns, excuse me, Langford and, and Radborn combining in my head, ha- trying to have a staff of five of them. Nobody did this anymore at the time. But really, after that, the fact that all of their careers were derailed by shoulder and elbow injuries was the answer. They had... Uh, as I mentioned, 94 complete games in 1980, 60 complete games in 1981, then 37 complete games in 1982, down to five in 1983, and four in 1984. And I firmly believe that this uh, overusage, overworking, and dissent was a big factor in the beginning of pitch count and the caution with starting pitchers that has changed the game forever. That's why I called him uh, a member of one of the most memorable and impactful pitching staffs of all time, because everybody around baseball 
we'll look to that. We'll look to that year and those staffs as a symbol of what you cannot do. So absolutely what they cannot do. So yes, you've seen the crazy complete game numbers that go back to the Fergie Jenkins years and obviously before that and the big pitch count totals of Nolan Ryan and Luis Tiant in their memorable matchup in 77, I think it is. But this is 1980. All these guys throw in complete games. 28 for Rick Lankford, 10 for Brian Kingman. Everybody had in between then. Looking back, since the year 2000, in the year 2000, only one person in baseball has had double-digit complete games in a season. That's James Shields of the Tampa Bay Rays in 2011 when he threw 11 complete games. That's it. James Shields. The last few years, nobody's had more than five since Chris Sale had six in 2016. So this It just does not happen anymore and never will again. And even then, Chris, look at Sale right now. I mean, Sale's arm isn't yes. even holding up. Dude, I'm, I'm telling you, I am looking right now at these, the, these leaders year by year of uh, incomplete games. And there's Roy Halladay several times, and we all know that his arm fell off the table, and he still made the Hall of Fame, even though. There's Jake Arrieta at among the most complete games in 2015. He lost velocity. There's Clayton Kershaw. I mean, it's just, there's Johnny Cueto on this list. There's Carlos Martinez, who ended up with Tommy John surgery on this list. There's Noah Syndergaard. Syndergaard is getting Tommy John this year, right? Mm -hmm. Again? Again. I mean, beware, beware the complete game. There's Irvin Santana, whose whose career fell off and fell apart. There's every once in a while you come across a guy like CC Sabathia, who is just an absolute monster and can go and go and go and go. Or Randy Johnson, who's all over this list, or Greg Maddox, who's all over this list. But yeah, and you, Billy up- Martin. Go ahead. Yeah, you brought up Nolan Ryan, too. It was just recently the 29th anniversary of his uh, last no-hitter. He threw 122 pitches in that one, and he, that, he was 44 years old, striking out 16 Blue Jays in 91. Unbelievable. Um, and a year ago today, I just retweeted this from uh, Marquee Sports Network. A year ago today is when Kyle Hendricks threw his Maddox, and the Maddox is a complete game shutout with less than 100 pitches. Hendricks had 81 pitches. I was there at Wrigley a year ago today, 81 pitches for a complete game. And much like Maddox in his later and perhaps best years, Kyle Hendricks didn't get above 88 miles an hour. Pitch to weak contact, people. Keep the ball in front of the outfielders, like Greg Maddox told us a couple of weeks ago here on Hit and Run. So rest in peace, Matt Keogh. I hope that your arm is getting the rest that it has needed since 1980, among other parts of the body. We'll wrap up Hit and Run in a few moments with our guy Chris Kamka with Cam Connections. That's next on 670 The Score. Welcome back in on Hit and Run here on 670 The Score. Before we get out of here, I'm going to offer you a couple thoughts on the unique, unique denial of the fifth-year fifth option on Mitch Trubisky's contract by the Bears. I'll tell you why that's unique before we get out of here. And at the top of the hour, it's a Bears Sunday. Bears and Lions 
from 2011, an absolute domination. And you'll hear Jeff Joniak with a few words about that before we get out of here. But we finish like we often do with our guy, Chris Kampka. At C. Kampka on Twitter, it is Cam Connections. We get ourselves Cam connected with the Sultan of Stat himself from NBC Sports Chicago. What's up, Chris? How are you this fine Sunday morning? Well, I'm pretty good, Speaks. How are you? Um, you know, a lot of stuff going on here. You got some interesting nuggets based on some of the things you've been talking about. Oh, you're see, you're beautiful the way you do that, the way you tie things together. This this weather is glorious, but it's a little bit cruel. It's a touch cruel because there ought to be baseball in our fair city today. Yeah, yeah, you're not kidding. Um, I know. I might actually go outside today. <laughs> Don't hurt yourself, Chris. Don't. Don't hurt. And I mean that in, in every sense of the way, internally or externally. Be safe. Be safe out there. But uh, did, did you hear that stuff we were just talking about on, on the complete games and the preposterous nature of Billy Martin's five aces? Just unbelievable. It's it's unbelievable. It really is. And the figure that something like that actually happened during my lifetime. Now, of course, I was an infant when it happened. But, hey, I mean, it still counts. Consider this. 94 complete games for the 1980 A's. Yeah. Um, you had a combined total of 87 complete games in the majors in the last two seasons combined. Wow. See, there you yeah. go. I, I was trying to to draw the corollary with single season complete games, but that says it even better. 87 total in the last two years combined, and they had 94 in 1980. Amazing. Yeah, and off the top of my head, I can remember a few of those uh, complete games this year. You know, 2019 were uh, – Giolito had a five-inning one, and uh, Carlos Carrasco had like a six-inning one. So, I mean, you're counting uh, range-shortened ones, and the A's did not have cheapies that year. There was one of seven innings, um, but that was the shortest one. Like you mentioned, four that were 14 innings. There were nine of over nine innings that year. The longest streak, the longest drought they had without a complete game was six games, and that was in April. They had nine in a row in August. Uh, it, it was absolutely oh. unbelievable. 58% of their games were complete games on the year. Um, they had seven or, hold on, no, six pitchers that had a complete game shutout. The guy who led the team in saves, Bob Lacey, with only six, had a complete game shutout. <laughs> it was the only start he made. <laughs> so... So somebody texted that in, and, and I didn't, and didn't realize that they were right, that he was the closer on that team, but he also had a complete game shutout. That's insane. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many wow. things. 94 complete games is the most by a team in a season since the 1946 Tigers. Mm. They also had 94. Um, since 1980, there have only been seven seasons where a pitcher had at least 20 complete games. The last one was Fernando Valenzuela in 1986. He had 20. Bert Blylevin in 1985 and 24. Ron Guidry, 21. Jack Morris, 20 in 1983. And then the other three of those seven are the three from the 1980s, including Brian Kingman's 28, which is most since Catfish Hunter at 30 in 1975. Wow. It, it, you know, it, it's amazing those teams didn't win more, too, because they had – they had a terrific outfield. Tony Armas and Ricky Henderson and Dwayne Murphy. That's, they had an unbelievable outfield to go along with those aces. They should have been even better than they were. Yeah, you really think they were. And, and, and it's not like – so, yeah, in that 1980 season, Brian Kingman had those 20 losses, which is 
was a big deal for a while until Mike mm-hmm. Moroth did it later. But they had a 320 ERA in, by their starting rotation, best in the American League, second best in the majors. So they were completing games, but they're also really good. Uh, and the trio of guys with at least 20 complete games, they had three. It's the most by any team since the 1950 Braves. It's Spawn, Sane, and Vern Bickford. Oh, see, now, I never heard Vern Bickford's name. All I heard was Pray for Rain. Spawn and Sane and Pray for Rain. I, I, we could have been here all day, and I wouldn't have been able to give you a third starter on those, uh, on those Braves teams. That, that's yeah, for so, sure. Yeah, Vern Bickford played in the uh, Players' Weekend. The back of his jersey would read Pray for Rain, would it not? Yeah, I, I think so. That's, that's who he was. Exactly right. Um, I, I love those. Do you remember some of the others? I remember when uh, Texas had Aaron Seeley and Rick Helling and nobody else. They did Seeley and Helling and three days of shelling. Someone invented someone invented that one down there. I've, al- I've always loved ahead. that. Yeah, we did some of those last season, right? We did. We did. Yeah. Those um, are fun. We had the White we, Sox. I think we most, did. Yeah. The White Sox one a few years ago, you had – Rodon and Sale and pray for hail. So, yeah, yeah, right. There you go. Last year, I think it was in terms of watchability, it was Geo and Cease and then, ah, sweet release or something like that. We, we, were, we were playing around with those a little bit last year. That's for sure. Yeah, and you also mentioned um, one-year anniversary of Kyle Hendricks pitching that glorious 81-pitch Maddox. I, don't, I didn't watch a single minute of that game. I was boarding a flight to London as that happened, and people were like, hey, Oh, can you find this? I'm like, oh man, I'm I'm not in the position to do this right now. But um, that happened to be on the 10 year anniversary of Maddox and Jenkins getting their number one, number 31 retired by the Cubs. So what a great way to pay homage to Maddox himself than to toss like the ultimate Maddox in the 10 year anniversary of that event. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. What did, I wonder, do you know what the fewest pitches for a complete game shutout is? It's can't, it can't be a hell of a lot lower than that. I believe the, the lowest number in a recorded uh, complete game is, I think it's 58, by somebody named Red Barrett. Yeah, you're exactly right. I just Googled, and, I just Googled that and bang, there it is. You're amazing. Yeah, Boston Braves, I think it was 1948, if I'm not right. Mm-hmm. If I'm, uh, no, 1944. Um yeah, Red Barrett. And obviously pitch counts didn't weren't a thing earlier on, so there might have been one with fewer, but you can't imagine too many fewer. But that's absurd. Fifty eight pitches in a in yeah. a complete game. Yeah, that's that that's that that's amazing. Um all right, what else is tickling uh, tickling your fancy here? Oh wait, here we go. Um Maddox threw a complete game fewer than eighty one pitches, only once. 77-pitch complete game masterpiece for the Braves against the Cubs in July of 97, although it was not a shutout. But that's still pretty good. 77 is still pretty damn good. Yeah, I know Aaron Cook had a few. I think there were under under 80. Like, he was notorious for that, the few games that he had like that. Wow. But, I mean, that's just unheard of. I mean, <laughs> think of it. There were 20 pitchers. 20 times last season, the pitchers made at least 81 pitches and got nine or fewer outs in the start. Um, and as it happened, the next day, you Darvish threw 81 pitches and couldn't get out of the, couldn't get an out in the fifth inning. So, yeah, the very next day, Darvish had exactly 81 and pitched 
four plus. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, that was before Darvish transitioned back to being a good version of himself in the second half of uh, of the season last year. You're not kidding because he was tremendous going down the stretch. Yes, he was. Um, Chris Kamka, a pleasure to talk to you as always. Um, stay safe, stay healthy. We'll do more baseball and more camp connections next week. I always enjoy it. Excellent. I'll be ready. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. That's Chris Kampka, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago. We're wrapping up Hit and Run right here on The Score. And uh, I mentioned uh, with Mitch Trubisky having his fifth-year option declined by the Chicago Cubs, I don't know if people understand just how rare it is. Was reading this this morning that no quarterback as statistically successful as Mitch Trubisky, has ever had the fifth-year option declined unless an injury had already occurred. Because that one is Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater had an 87 passer rating and averaged 7.2 yards per pass attempt. He's the only quarterback with better stats than Mitch Trubisky, who right now sits with an 85.8 passer rating and 6.7 yards per attempt. Bridgewater's the only quarterback with better numbers than Trubisky who had his option declined. And we all know that was because of the knee injury, which completely threatened his entire future. There are four healthy quarterbacks, other than Mitch, to ever have their fifth-year options declined on one of these five-year rookie quarterback contracts, first-round rookie quarterback contracts. This is, the, uh, this is who Mitch is with. Jake Locker, E.J. Manuel, Blaine Gabbert, and Christian Ponder. Those four, who, none of whom had a passer rating higher than 79, is the company that Mitch Trubisky is keeping. Those four and Teddy Bridgewater. That's it. So, you know, look. You can think about the possibility for Mitch to bounce back and become a very good quarterback. History says nope. Uh, but they've got their uh, their bet hedged with Nick Foles. This has been a really fun hit and run. Thank you to Sean Anderson for doing a great job all week and conversing with me and getting me ready. And uh, also for booking and working the show today. Thank you to Casey Johnson, Len Casper, Josh Nelson, and Chris Kampka. And Danny Parkins, my guests on the show today. Um, Have a great week, everybody. I'll be on Cubs 360 Daily on Tuesday at 6 o'clock on Marquee. Then back with you next Saturday morning for Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine. And on Sunday for Hit and Run at 9 a.m. Bears Sunday is next. Remember, by the way, that Chicago Bulls GM Mark Eversley makes his debut on The Score tomorrow morning at 8.30 with Mully and Haw. Keep it right here on The Score. Stay safe and stay sane, everybody. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.